Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks again for letting us be part of your day. And here's what we'll be talking about today. We'll talk with the Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. A lot of uh, news today about China evidently agreeing to roll back tariffs. That's certainly a positive step. If that's the case, we'll find out what Jake Parker is hearing and what he sees ahead for these U.S.-China trade negotiations. Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, will join us to talk a number of ag issues. And we're also going to, on this uh, day before, another USDA report coming out. We'll talk with the manager of AgriVisor, Joe Camp, will join us to give us a preview of tomorrow's report, what he is especially watching for and how much of a market mover this report could be. We're going to start it all off today with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, good to have you back on. Well, it's nice to be uh, it's nice to be talking to you. It's kind of a quiet week in Washington with the House of Representatives not here this week, so it's uh, uh, it's good to have a, a bit of a break from from Hill activity. But of course, there's plenty going on in Washington. It's not a totally quiet time based on other activities outside of agriculture, right? No, well, that's true. I mean, there's there there's a, a report almost every day about uh, about trade. Uh, uh, perhaps the most interesting of the moment is that Richard Neal, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee in the House, got back yesterday from Canada saying that he had had good conversations with uh, Canadian Prime Minister uh, J- Justin Trudeau, uh, and that the Canadians are as determined as the Americans that the Mexicans will enforce the labor provisions in the agreement. Uh, it seems like they are edging closer and closer uh, to bringing up the USMCA in the House, although um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said it could be until next year. But she said that in the context of saying that the House is moving towards yes on the agreement. But we are hearing and seeing U.S. unions weigh in more and uh, we've seen some uh, very high-profile Democrats, Dick Durbin and others, kind of speaking out on some of these issues. Kind of makes you wonder if this uh, all of a sudden gets slow-played a little bit with the calendar shrinking for this year. Yes, that's right, especially because there's so much else going on. I mean, there's impeachment, but perhaps even more important is the, the need to get an agreement to fund the government. The current continuing resolution will expire on November 21st. Now the House, as I said, has been out this week, and we have uh, we just have a report that the top people on the appropriations committees will meet on Tuesday night to try to talk about where they're headed with this. Uh, but there's still a po- probability that there'll just be another continuing resolution, and maybe not a, uh, a bill to fund the government until Congress leaves for Christmas. Meanwhile, an interesting Supreme Court case is they're looking at clean water, uh, groundwater pollution, and uh, this could have big impact on agriculture, depending on how they rule. Uh, yes, uh, any Supreme Court case 
uh, can have a big uh, impact because, of course, the uh, the the res- resolution of it is is nationwide, and there are just so many of these conflicts over water uh, all over the uh, all over the country. Um, uh, you know, particularly in Iowa, which is so interesting because there you are really pitting farmers in a farm state against the urban residents who are complaining that their drinking water uh, has been damaged. Yeah, this case uh, kind of centered around discharges from a wastewater treatment plant on the island of Maui. Uh, We understand some Supreme Court members have expressed concerns about pollution reaching navigable waters through groundwater, but they're also concerned about residential septic tanks and kind of hesitating to give a a blank check to EPA and and would cause a a lot of homeowners all of a sudden have to have a, a permit from the government. Yes, that's, you know, the difficulty when the courts have to get involved in these technical issues. It's much better if the, uh, if the technical agencies can handle these matters rather than the courts. Uh, there, you know, there's an old saying that the, that, uh, the, that the courts are a blunt instrument. The law is a blunt instrument. So uh, I wish some of these cases d- did not come up that they could get resolved at another level, but on these environmental issues, they, o- they often end up in court. What are you hearing on the uh, bill to reform the ag labor uh, situation, the H-2A visa program? Is that going to get enough support to pass? You know, since that big announcement, I haven't heard a word. I know everybody in agriculture is in favor of it, uh, but there was a report from McClatchy newspapers that the uh, Trump White House uh, officials had said they weren't enthusiastic about it. The big issue, of course, is uh, that if you if you solve the problem for one industry, then does that mean that that the pressure is off to solve it in other uh, in other areas, both in industry and in family reunification? Uh, so I just it's it's like there was a big announcement, uh, lots of enthusiasm, and then silence. Yeah, it's always my concern, and we've seen this happen and bring about a lot of nothing getting done. The, if you can't fix everything, don't fix anything. And here's a chance to actually fix something. I would think that that would be uh, a good model to use to try to fix other areas of this. Well, that's the argument that the farm groups are making. And, the, you know, the incredible thing is that they have industry behind this and also the United Farm Workers. So, you would, you know, it's an extraordinary thing when you see um, the UFW officials standing up there with industry, shaking hands with people that they're normally in conflict with. It's, uh, it's, really, a, uh, it's really a great day. And... Um, I just wish uh, I just wish it would happen. To me, one of the strongest arguments on this issue is that more and more American companies, particularly from California, are making investments in Mexico where they can get the labor. And that means that we import the food uh, and we don't create as many jobs in the United States. Yeah, you got some bipartisan support. You got some, uh, as you said, groups that aren't always together on this uh, are. Uh, Wow, this is something it seems like ought to push forward and, and get done, but who knows? We'll see. It has a, has its share of challenges ahead. All right, Jerry, as always, good to talk with you, and uh, 
Uh, wow, that the calendar is getting short for Congress, right? When you have the holidays and everything, we'll see what they can get done. It sure is getting short, you know. Just a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, uh, they'll be out for a week at that time. Then they'll come back, and, of course, there'll be pressure to, uh, uh, to leave town uh, in time for Christmas. Theoretically, they're supposed to leave around the 15th, but they haven't been doing that in recent years. Okay, we will see. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, we'll get the latest on U.S.-China trade negotiations. Is China going to pull back on the tariffs? We're going to talk with the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake Parker joins us next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second, in time, on the first, double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So a lot of reaction today about the word of uh, China possibly rolling back uh, tariffs and that uh, a more positive spin on U.S.-China trade negotiations. So let's talk about it with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, thank you for joining us. What can you tell us about this uh, latest move we're hearing about when it comes to tariffs? So I think what's been announced today or overnight by the Chinese government is that the, the two sides have agreed to lockstep tariff de-escalation over time. I think that aligns with what we've been hearing over the last number of months from the U.S. government, that as part of uh, any agreement, there would be performance metrics that are built in that when China met certain requirements or implemented on its commitments, then additional tariffs could be drawn back. It's important to note, however, that if those implement, if that implementation doesn't follow through, then tariffs could potentially come back into force. So this is a, a double-edged sword. Implementation and enforcement; these are these are key to any agreement, right? Absolutely, and I think in this agreement in particular, because there is, uh, frankly, a low level of trust, particularly on the U.S. side, that there's a feeling that many of China's commitments in the past haven't been fully implemented. So I think what we're hearing is that. Uh, this dispute resolution mechanism or enforcement mechanism, depending on how you want to talk about it, uh, every month the deputy-level officials will meet. Once a quarter, the principal-level officials will meet. They'll be Ambassador Lighthizer, Secretary Mnuchin, Vice Premier Liu He. And then at some point during the year, there'll also be a presidential meeting, which will allow different levels to raise issues and also ensure implementation is, is happening to the fullest extent. All right, so we're looking at a phase one of an agreement and still wondering where and when that might be signed. Are you hearing anything on that? I, you know, I'm hearing the same whack-a-mole that you are, whether it's the United States, whether it's Europe. So I, my understanding is there is no plan B in effect if Chile um, ended up not happening. So both sides are now trying to, to work in earnest to, to find a location where to, where to sign the deal. 
and you know most of us think what difference does it make where they sign it but i guess uh, in in the world of high level politics and negotiations uh that matters i suppose yes sir that's right i think for the chinese in particular if they were to come to the united states there's a couple of different factors to keep in mind one uh, i know the chinese government believes that they would like to have a state visit to send a state leader if that doesn't happen there needs to be some kind of concessions that are offered by the us government that would allow the chinese government to contextualize to a domestic chinese audience that they're not capitulating to the united states by coming to the us to sign what they would consider to be an unfair agreement now if it's in a neutral ground in europe or in south america or somewhere else that creates a little more flexibility on both sides we're talking with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake, uh, in the agricultural world, we're looking at um, increased sales to China. They've been buying more as of late, not like they used to, but certainly better than they have been for quite some time. Uh, how do you read that? Is that just because of the need they have? Is it a goodwill gesture in, in these negotiations? How do you read that? I think at the very basic, uh, at the most basic, China needs American agricultural products. Um, and so what we have seen, uh, obviously President Trump announced that China would purchase between 40 and $50 billion in U.S. agricultural products. Uh, we have seen some clarification in recent days from Treasury Secretary Mnuchin uh, when he indicated that on an, that would be on an annualized basis and probably take a couple of years to scale up. This would be far greater than any kind of historical U.S. agricultural exports to China, which were worth around there in 19.5 billion in 2017 the last full year uh, before the trade conflict really ramped up in our conversations with both the u.s and chinese governments this is not about just buying soybeans or buying hogs this is about removing the structural barriers that china maintains in its market which restricts certain u.s agricultural products from being exported there and we've already seen some announcements on the chinese side the u.s imports of um, that U.S. Uh, that China would lift its ban on U.S. poultry products over the avian influenza um, restrictions that they put in place something like five years ago. Um, other longstanding trade barriers we understand that are under discussion include biotech event approvals, which is of course the genetically modified seeds which grow crops, which are then sent to, the, to China, and also tariffs on ethanol and, and DDGS, of course, as well. Also, sanitary and phytosanitary restrictions and other things that I think are in in the mix as well. One final point on this before I stop, and that is much of this growth of trade is incumbent upon tariffs being removed because the Chinese are very focused on market-based purchases, and by removing some of these these market access barriers, the the illusion is is that there will need to be less tariffs for this scale to grow to, to that size. Jake, there's been a lot of speculation throughout this uh, whole situation, this uh, standoff, this trade war, whatever you want to call it, that it'll never be the same between the U.S. and China moving forward, that uh, the dynamic has changed, uh, the whole global trade dynamic has has been changed. Do you agree with that? Look, I think every year that the two sides engage is different than the one before. Um, Ultimately, in the United States today, I think that there was that the, the view on China has shifted a little bit. Over the last couple of decades, there's always been a thesis in the U.S. government that when China joined the World Trade Organization, they would become, after that, they would become more market-oriented, they'd become more, um, they, they would become more competitive, and frankly, they would probably become more democratic. As that thesis has maybe proven not to be correct, 
it's caused a bit of a vacuum in how the United States deals with China today. So I think many in the U.S. government are struggling now with, with how we are going to engage with China in the future, I'm trying to come up with a new thesis of, of what China is and what it will become and how the U.S. and China engage going forward. All right, so hopefully we're going to get phase one signed here sometime soon. Uh, what would phase two look like? What would it include? So phase one, we're going to see agricultural purchases. We're going to see intellectual property rights protection, financial services, liberalization, something on currency. It wouldn't surprise me to see some kind of phase 1.5 where we see additional kind of low-hanging fruit that are taken out uh, or that, that are delivered, such as purchases of U.S. energy, maybe some movement on something like cloud computing. Phase two and beyond are going to be the really difficult issues in the relationship, the ones, frankly, that are very important to the U.S. business community that I represent. That's uh, subsidies that are dispersed by the Chinese government. That's industrial policy, which helps to to focus on the development of strategic and emerging industries in the China market and potentially puts U.S. companies at a competitive disadvantage. It's about state-owned enterprise reform, which um, distort markets, not only in China now, but because of their global reach in third markets as well. So, so these are the really difficult issues uh, that are going to be addressed in phase two and beyond. Um, and, and frankly, it's going to be hard to get good substantive agreements from the Chinese on these. I was going to say, as long as it's taking to get phase one, it sounds like phase two might take even longer. Uh, it's important to note that phase one is all about building momentum and putting a floor under the deterioration of the relationship. And, and when you talk to negotiators, they note that just having something inked on paper that both sides agree to, that's it, very positive, and it helps build momentum to tackle the more difficult issues. So we're going to get done with phase one. I think we have a high-level degree of confidence that that'll happen. And then we'll see a more normalized, hopefully, process where the two sides engage and talk about these more difficult issues. Any thoughts on when we might see phase one signed? You know, I, I would probably bet it's in the next uh, month, two months. Um, we should never, ever be surprised, however, if something takes longer in Washington than we expect. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a lot of that, haven't we, uh, throughout this whole situation and, and in others as as well. We're talking with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Real quick, Jake, uh, we look, we talk a lot here, of course, about the agricultural aspect. What about beyond agriculture? What impact has this uh, trade war had on other parts of our economy? Yeah, so so at least uh, if you're uh, an American consumer, then the tariffs have certainly had an impact on the products that you're buying on a daily basis. The the question is, is how much? Uh, what we when we talk to our member companies in retail, for example, example, they note that multi-category retailers they've got a bit of flexibility where they can shift some of the costs of these tariffs onto other items, take a little bit of a hit on the margin, pass a little bit onto their suppliers. But ultimately, there's some of that cost that's being passed on to the American consumer. And as we get into list 4A and list 4B, it's much harder to hide those costs. So if you're an American consumer, you're probably paying a little bit more for a basket of goods than you were in the past. Also, if you're an American company that's manufacturing in the United States, supporting American workers, and you're exporting your products to the China market, then the Chinese retaliatory tariffs have had a big impact on you. That may have reduced your production and may have led you to think potentially about cutting back on the hours that your workers are working in those factories as well. Ultimately, though, the biggest impact is on the competitiveness of U.S. companies in the market. Yep. 
Jake, thank you so much. Really appreciate your perspective on this, and we'll stay in touch, and especially as we get closer, uh, hopefully, to seeing Phase 1 sign. We'll talk again. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. All right, up next, we'll discuss ag issues with the Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, next on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A mix for the grain and oil seed sector. We are firm in soybean futures an hour into the trading day. Buyers in China and the Philippines purchasing more soybeans, according to USDA, in combination with a strong export sales report for the week ending October 31st, as well as reports that China has agreed to perhaps rollback tariffs as part of a partial trade deal. Soybean futures trending higher January an hour into the day. A penny and a quarter higher at 9.28 and three quarters of a cent. Export sales for beans beating trade expectations, but sales for wheat and corn continue to be low, according to the wire talk. December corn down three cents, 3.75 and three quarters. Chicago wheat December down four and three quarters, 5.12 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two at 5.21 and a quarter. Kansas City, December down six and a quarter at 421 and a half. Livestock at the American Live Cattle Futures, December contract 50 cents higher at 119.50. Feeder cattle, January up 42 at 144.85. We continue to wait for cash cattle activity to develop in the central and southern plains and on a dress basis in the north. Asking prices in the south, 116 to 118. 185 to 188 dressed in the north. In lean hog futures, December contract, 60 cents higher, 65.35. February up $1.27 at 74.10. The Dow is up 204 points. NASDAQ up 48. S&P up 16. December crude oil up 83 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now to talk ag issues is Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Uh, it's great to be out, and uh, I just appreciate the opportunity, if at least virtually, to, to get out of D.C. for just a little bit. <laughs> That's always a relief, isn't it, for a while? <laughs> It is. Uh, no shortage of things to kind of keep one's head spinning in town these days. I always say I love to go to Washington, D.C., and I love to get out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. Uh, let's let's talk about some of these issues. Big news today, of course, and we just talked about it in our last segment with uh, the senior vice president of the U.S.-China Business Council. But what looks to be a, a positive move with uh, on tariffs, U.S. and China, maybe a kind of a step forward, hopefully, right? That's what we're hoping. You know, again, you, you hear these reports and, and trying to sort out, you know, the fact from the hopes and dreams that uh, folks around the edges are trying to impart on the process. Uh, but I feel like uh, from what we are reading, from what we are hearing, that we've got some real, you know, concrete progress toward ending this uh, trade, war, trade war, at least making some progress toward the, the right direction, to kind of easing it down and getting, hopefully getting us back on track with China. When you hear from Farm Bureau members around the country, and obviously representing a variety of uh, ag sectors, so uh, you're going to hear from a lot of them on different issues. What's the number one thing that you hear the most? Well, I'd say probably the two things. Obviously, trade, and, and I know you follow that extremely close, and that's one of the things that we hear about, whether we're talking getting USMCA uh, the U.S.-Canada-Mexico agreement uh, done hopefully this year. That's what it looks like we're, we're, we're heading toward. Uh, getting the China situation resolved, and, and we are hearing that, you know, here in just a week or two, uh, the president, uh, President Trump and his counterpart from China are to meet and hopefully sign an agreement on this first phase of, of starting to kind of unravel, unwrap the, the China trade war. Uh, and certainly the ongoing efforts, uh, you know, from Secretary Purdue and his team and the U.S. Trade Representative Office, you know, to get some of these new market opportunities opened up or expanded, expanding existing opportunities, uh, because, you know, farmers and ranchers all across the country are feeling the impact of not only the trade wars, but Mother Nature just not being a very cooperative partner this year. Let's talk USMCA. You sound hopeful it's going to be voted on this year. I have concerns every time... I hear, well, we've started hearing U.S. unions uh, raise some concerns, and all of a sudden we started hearing more from some high-profile Democrats, Dick Durbin and others, kind of saying maybe we're not going to be ready to vote on this yet this year. we got some issues that have to be resolved, and then we don't know if we try to make changes, if Mexico will go along with those changes, and all of a sudden you look at a very tight calendar. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder about this year. Well, Mike, I will tell you this. One of the things that, that uh, in all the years I've been here, getting a trade agreement through Congress uh, is never an e- easy lift. It doesn't matter who is in the White House and who's got the majority on the Hill. All of those questions come up. I'm taking a positive, that glass-half-full look at this, in that uh, when, when leadership among the Democrats in this case are looking at it and raising these concerns, when folks... Uh, like the unions, who have been, frankly, fairly quiet throughout a lot of this in terms of, you know, not the usual pounding on the table that they don't like trade agreements. What it speaks to is that they are sensing this trade agreement is shortly going to come down the street from the White House to Capitol Hill, and then those clocks start ticking on getting this done. And everything we're hearing on the House side suggests that once it gets to the floor, we're going to see USMCA passed. Leader McConnell has indicated that once he gets over to the Senate, they tend to move, uh, you know, are intending to move on it fairly quickly. So from my standpoint, uh, you know, I'll let let those who are worried about it be worried. But from our standpoint, we're continuing to push from the grassroots all the way up to the national level, letting the men and women on Capitol Hill know how important it is to get this done and to get USMCA done this year. There's also a a line of thinking, a school of thought, that, 
there's some pressure on the Democrats to show that they can get something done other than uh, work on impeachment, and that might be U.S. getting USMCA passed. Do you think that plays a part in this? Well, I'm going to leave impeachment to uh, you know to other folks in town who are are paying very close attention to that. But I would say yes, it's something that that I know Speaker Pelosi wants to show that you know as leader uh, of the House of Representatives. Uh, she continues to work on other issues that are important important to our country, uh, you know, regardless of what else may be going on relative to, you know, the, that politics uh, above the rim. And certainly, you know, Senator McConnell, and, you know, on the on the Senate side, you know, that same thing, working on those kind of things that are important, you know, to to the country. And our benefit, our hope is that these agricultural issues we're wrestling with are part and parcel uh, of what they're working on. We're confident that we've got a good platform from which to work on USMCA. We know uh, Mexico has raised some questions. We know that Canada's raised some questions. And, you know, from my perspective and having been through trade agreement uh, debates going on, going back, you know, 30, 35 years, uh, you know, each side, it's like a good horse trade. Each side figures they got rolled just a little bit, uh, uh, but they also feel like they rolled the other guy. And so we're right in kind of that, that middle part where, the tension, I think, is just about right for folks on both sides of the aisle, on both ends of, of the executive branch and, and Capitol Hill. They want to get this done so they can get back to working on other issues that tend to fall down into whatever, you know, bucket, whether it's, you know, party politics or policy politics that they can work on that, that's a little easier to discern than, than these trade agreements. We're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, there is a bipartisan ag labor reform bill that's been introduced. I know you've been looking at it internally there at Farm Bureau. Why have you? Why has Farm Bureau not endorsed it yet, or will you, or where are you at in that process? Well, Mike, our board has met a couple of times and gone through this bill in in you know very very careful detail to understand uh, everything that it represents. There are some things in that that are positive, namely uh, one thing that we've heard from all over the country uh, is this process that would provide a, a pathway to legal status for the current uh, workforce, because we know uh, the data suggests that there are a number of workers in a lot of different industry sectors who are in the United States that may not be here legally, uh, have the documentation necessary and so forth. So we feel like that that part of the bill, you know, is a step in the right direction and and relatively consistent with our grassroots policy. Other parts of the bill, things that are related to, you know, the the private right of action, you know, that that increases the liability that farmers and ranchers may face, you know, in employing guest workers. Uh, Things like the e-verify process uh, that is part of this bill, something that we have policy that's been very clear from our grassroots for years that says, you know, we're, we're not going to support E-Verify unless and until we have a workable, affordable uh, guest worker program in place, you know, then we would be supportive to it. Uh, there are some other issues related to, you know, the H-2A reforms that are in the bill, one of those being, uh, you know, on the positive side, there is a provision, a new provision for the H-2A program that allows year-round agricultural guest workers, uh, you know, in, in those like particularly for the livestock se- sector, dairy, you know, pork production, poultry production, and, and other industries, you know, sectors in agriculture, so, you know, mushroom growers, horticulture, and so forth. Uh, the problem is that they've put such a low cap on that that it's not going to be near adequate uh, 
to meet the needs of you know farmers and ranchers across the country, and so we've raised concerns about that particular issue. The bottom line, Mike, is you know we have indicated to folks that we cannot support the bill as it's written, but that we are working very diligently with you know not only the bill's sponsors and co-sponsors. Uh, but other members of Congress to to bring some amendments forward as it goes through the process to try and bring the bill closer to you know Farm Bureau policy. But unless some of these changes are made, uh, we're not going to be able to support it. All right. So uh, a lot of ag groups have come out in support of it, and a lot of people have been wondering why Farm Bureau has not. So you've explained that well, and uh, we'll watch and see how that how that process goes forward. Uh, before we let you go. Uh, the effort to get broadband across this country more accessible, especially in rural areas. Where do we stand on that? Well, we feel like we're making progress. Both the House and Senate have been considering legislation uh, in that regard. Uh, uh, we're looking for improved accuracy in the broadband coverage and, and the maps that outline, particularly in rural areas. I mean, Mike, you know this. Uh, as you've talked to enough folks out in the countryside, uh, how much broadband connectivity, not just, you know, at home or on the farmstead, but out in the fields because of the way their equipment, you know, operates these days. You know, we want to optimize yield and, and lower the environmental impact and maximize, you know, profits, uh, something that every farmer and rancher needs these days. So being able to get broadband deployed more, uh, probably not the right way to say it, more broadly uh, out in the rural countries is a, a big focus on that. And one of the things that, that we feel like as we keep moving this forward, we seem to have a lot of bipartisan support for this effort. There's a lot of recognition on the importance of this with Secretary Purdue and his team in rural development. So as we continue to go through you know, this process, to keep working to get these improvements in uh, and also support the funding for the programs, particularly in USDA's rural development programs, to make uh, you know, broadband deployment uh, more available uh, more affordable for those areas that uh, may not have a lot of population to cover, but there's certainly a, a strong need for it in those areas. All right, Dale, it's good to talk with you again. Good to catch up. We'll talk again again soon, hopefully. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate all you do to keep folks informed as to what's going on in Washington, D.C. Enjoy your break from Washington, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Interesting. Uh, Farm Bureau's concerns with that ag-, ag labor reform bill. All right. Up next, a preview of uh, tomorrow's government uh, crop report. We'll talk about that next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, tomorrow we get more numbers from USDA. As always, lots of speculation. Let's talk about it with AgriVisor Manager Joe Camp. Joe, thank you for joining us. What are you especially focused on in tomorrow's report? Pleased to be with you, Mike. Quiet morning so far. we got the phones not ringing as much. That means the farmers are out farming. So it's this harvest 
pressure type storyline that's kind of weighing on the grains in the lead up to this report. Hopefully we can have something friendly to go on when tomorrow's numbers are released. First glance, we'll go to yield. Corn and soybean yields both seen just slightly lower on the previous report. Traders expecting corn to come down to something near 167.5 bushels an acre and soybeans down just fractionally to 46.6 bushels an acre. That could help tighten the balance sheet up, but we know there's another side of it, and that's demand. And there have been some issues with demand, particularly exports lately, that have uh, somewhat worried coming into tomorrow's numbers. All right, all kinds of speculation. Many are saying they don't see much change coming from USDA in this report. What about you? I think we're going to see some adjustments that will certainly surprise us. We wouldn't, It wouldn't be a report day without a few shockers to, to go on. If we look at the yield, maybe that's true. We won't see a, a big a cut or a big addition, whichever way they lean. Probably not uh, something we see until a later report, say that January final summary, when we get beyond the harvest and we get those samples into the field and we get our surveys back from the farmers and have a clearer picture of what the yield looks like. But what can change in a bigger way could be acres. We know the USDA resurveyed uh, territories in the northern plains, the upper Midwest that had an early onset of winter there about a month ago. And we could see some adjustments again to the demand side. Exports, as I mentioned, having uh, been running a little bit sluggish here lately. So there are a lot of moving parts Mind you, we're getting into the South American planning season, too, so we can have a look at some global numbers that could be pretty key for us going forward. I won't sleep on a, on a USDA report, particularly uh, knowing as volatile as they have been. And so I think tomorrow uh, could be that could be true, too. I, I think we could be in store for seeing some fireworks. How do traders feel about the harvest progress at this point? First, there was a lot of worry. I mean, there's going to remain worry until we get the crop out, and there is going to be worry that there will be folks that won't get the crop out here in 2019. Corn that'll have to, uh, you know, stand in the ground until early next spring, unfortunately. But for the most part, it's been somewhat of a relief to see recent weather shape up in a way that's allowed farmers to get back in the field and advance on harvest. And so, even part of the weakness. This week in our grain markets has been attributed to the fact that on Monday afternoon uh, we saw the corn harvest, as it reaches past 50%, start to jump a little bit ahead of what we'd expected, or I guess uh, a little bit further than than what we'd feared it, it would be coming into this week. And we know that so far this week's been a really active week for harvest, so we are progressing forward. Let's talk about the China situation. If indeed we get an agreement, uh, phase one of an agreement signed, and we don't know what all that would entail, but let's say it's positive, how much of a boost does that give to the market? I think a huge boost. You know, there would be those out there that say, you know, following a China deal, we're still going to see the world buy based off of needs. And uh, even the top soybean buyer in China has diminished needs, whether we talk about African swine fever or having been stocked up from a big South American harvest, new relationships, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to say that a a phase one deal or a U.S.-China deal in general would be followed by huge framed contract purchases. So whether they need them or not, we're going to see the Chinese make purchases of soybeans and put them in uh, stockpiles to make good on their promises that are going to be part of this deal. 
And so we'll have a big follow-through, I do believe, if we can get something signed. And I think that won't only apply to soybeans. Next up would be pork in a big way, again, because of the African swine fever issue that's rampant across Asia. And then I think the corn, too, could benefit, corn and wheat potentially benefiting from a deal uh, following up the Chinese would with some purchases to get closer to the, the dollar commitments that have been floated around some 20 to 30 billion in the first year and then up to 30 to 50 billion dollars in ag purchases in the following year. Yeah, and if they start buying ethanol, DDGs, that obviously has an impact as well. Absolutely. It's a huge deal if we can get the China deal signed, no doubt about it. We are closer, but it's back and forth every day, and the market's sick of hearing it, and so we're ready to see the sales materialize. We look every morning at the flash sales system to see if uh, beans are going to China. This morning, a a few cargoes did trade to China, but it's not the type of, of numbers that we've seen promised. And it's not the type of numbers we would expect if we actually do ink a deal uh, that would uh, follow from the tariffs being reduced. And that's the big sticking point of these tariffs still. If we can start to uh, lower these down proportionately and together, that's the Chinese request, uh, then I think there's going to be some movement on signing something. And there was a report this morning from the Chinese side uh, that did suggest there's an agreement on tariff reductions, but we need confirmation yet from the U.S. If we get that, we're going to start to be even more positive about the prospects for a deal. But next up is going to be this question of where do we sign it and when. Mm-hmm. All right, so just to wrap it up, you think there there's the potential for fireworks in the report tomorrow? Good, Good fireworks, positive fireworks as far as prices are concerned? Right, there's always the potential for fireworks, and Uh if nothing else, because the trade has been missing these reports by historical amount. We've been missing to the Barra side uh, most recently, except for the stocks report. So I think traders are kind of wanting to cover uh, longs coming into this report, being afraid it's a little bit negative. But if we do see that reduction to yield and a better adjustment, a more realistic um, adjustment to acres, then it can be a friendly report. All right, Joe, thanks. We'll see what happens tomorrow, and we'll talk again soon to get your reaction to those numbers, okay? Likewise. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Joe Camp, AgriVisor Manager. With that, we wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining us here on AOA. Tomorrow, um, we'll keep you up to date on the China situation. Also, look at that propane uh, issue up in the upper Midwest and much, much more. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Have a good day, everyone. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.